We are going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. These uh, last four Sundays that I'm here, I've been kind of speaking to you on things that are, I feel are important to you as a congregation and to you as individuals as well. Um, and while the, the past two weeks are very, very important, they were, I feel that these next two weeks are of uttermost importance. And so pay close attention to this scripture today. Let's, let's look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that they have submitted to this word. When you look at the logo for our church, can you put that up on the screen? When you look at that logo, what do you see? A cross, right? That's the first thing that should stick out to you, right, is a cross. But you should also see a Bible. There's a cross coming out of an open Bible. And it was intentionally designed that way in order to communicate what this church is all about. The cross represents Jesus, and the, the Bible represents the Word of God. And so we as a church, we're focused on Jesus Christ, on who He is and what He has done, and we're also focused on how Jesus communicates to us, which is through His Word. I mean, even our sanctuary is designed to reflect this, if you think about it. Uh, you know, this is why we have an open Bible on our altar. And above our open Bible, we have the cross of Christ. In fact, our, our, our logo mimics our church design. And so these things, they're there, they're, they're there to convey a message. A message to anyone who walks through those doors that, that when they come into this place, this is a place where Christ is king. This is a place where his word shapes and informs his people. These are the things that are of first importance to us. And, and this is the, the very reason that I begin our service each and every Sunday by saying these words. We are a loving family who believe that Jesus is the son of God. That he died for our sins and that he rose from the dead three days later. And we believe that God has communicated to us through his son and through his word. And that is why we view, we view the Bible as our ultimate source of authority. And while this greeting, it may seem repetitive, and I'm pretty sure that it has annoyed some of you. There, there is a purpose behind it. For these are the vital, vital truths of the Christian faith. And in fact, that I, I would say that without these truths... There wouldn't be a Christian faith. The, the first part of what I say, it speaks to what is necessary for us to believe. 
It speaks to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Without this truth, without, without belief in this truth, a person cannot be a Christian. And I'll speak more to that next Sunday, on my last Sunday here. But today I want to focus on the, on the second part, on the second truth. That God is communicated to us through His Son and through His Word. And that is why we view the Bible as our ultimate source of authority. This, this speaks to our epistemology, which is just one of a fancy way of saying how we know what we know. You know, how, how, how do we know what, what to believe? How, how do we, where do we get our source of knowledge? Where do we get our source of truth? How do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? How do we know that he died on the cross? How do we know that he rose from the dead three days later? See, epistemology, it deals with the question of truth. It deals with the question of authority. As Christians, we derive our knowledge, we derive our beliefs from the Bible, from, from God's Word. God's Word is the source of our truth. Let's look a little deeper at the words that I say each and every Sunday. What, now, what do I mean when I say that God has communicated to us through His Son? Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What the author of Hebrews is expressing here is that God has revealed himself to us in, in the fullest Sense when he became a man and dwelt among us. It is in Jesus Christ that we get our closest, closest look at God. For Jesus is God. And he has come to us in human form. And, and he has disclosed to us a, 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 the light of his glory. Jesus possesses a divine nature, a, a nature that, that, that has been revealed to us through his manifestation. And while he was on this earth, that light shone brightly. But now, now in our day, we can see that same light through the witness that he left behind. The witness that was prophesied in the Old Testament and which we now read about in the New Testament. Which leads to the, the last part of what I say each and every Sunday. That God has communicated to us through his word. And that is why we view the Bible as our ultimate source of authority. You see, we, we no longer have Jesus physically dwelling among us. Yet, we have his word. And this, this is how we know the truth. 
This is how God has communicated with his people. How he has communicated with you and how he has communicated with me. And it is to this authority about which I want to speak to you today. The authority of God's word. We're getting a lot of feedback here, aren't we? I've got a plan. that better? Okay. You can hear me on this? All right. All right. Now this letter that that the Apostle Paul had written to Timothy, uh, this was most likely the last New Testament letter that Paul wrote. And when he penned these words, he, he was sitting in a prison in Rome. He was on trial before Caesar, and, and many of his friends had abandoned him. And from a, from a worldly perspective, this, this should have been a discouraging time for this man. But Paul was not discouraged. Rather, he had hope. Hope not only in Jesus Christ, but also in this, this young protege of his named Timothy, the, the man whom he had left in charge of this church in Ephesus. And even though this church was going through many struggles of its own, Paul had faith in this young elder that that he would carry out his duties faithfully as he honored Jesus Christ. And that's why he wanted to instruct young Timothy on how to lead well. And that's what we get in in this book, instructions on, on how to lead well. And yet what we discover as we go throughout this letter is that that Paul puts a a heavy, heavy emphasis on being faithful to sound doctrine. In other words, Paul desired that that Timothy would remain true to God's word. And no more is this demonstrated than than in our passage for today. Look look at the first part of uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture... Is God breathed? All scripture is God breathed. The Greek word for God breathed is theonoustos. It is a word that was coined by the Apostle Paul. In reality, it's a combination of two words theos, meaning God, and neo, meaning to exhale. Or to breathe out, to blow. And so what what Paul is saying here is that the very words that we find in our Bibles, they have their origin from God. They come directly from the Almighty. He is their source. He, He breathes them out. Paul wasn't the only one who held this view. We, we, we saw the same thing in, in our first scripture reading today, did we not? This is what the Apostle Peter believed. Look at, look at 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Again, we, we, we see this stress that the, the origin of what we read in Scripture comes from the will of God and not from the will of man. And so the wisdom, the wisdom that we find in this book, it is a higher wisdom than any wisdom that could come from any man. And because this is a wisdom that comes directly from God, it is both timeless and authoritative. It is timeless in the sense that, that these truths that we read about, they, they do not change. They, they stay the same, even when, when, when cultures swing and societies shift. What was true 3,000 years ago in, in Bethlehem is true today here in Allegan, Michigan. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Or how about Psalm 119, verse 89? Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Whether you are reading in the book of Genesis or whether you are reading in the book of Revelation, it is all an unchanging truth. But not only is God's word timeless, but it is authoritative as well. That means that, that it, that God's word, does not conform to any other source of wisdom. Rather, all other sources of wisdom must conform to it. During the, the Reformation, when Martin Luther spoke about the authority of the Bible, he used this Latin phrase, Norma normens non normata. And it means the, the norm of norms that cannot be normed. In other words, Scripture holds an authority that is unlike all other authorities. It cannot be changed. It does not conform to the opinions of men. And whatever it speaks to, all other authorities must bend the knee. Now during Luther's day, that meant that papal authority, or the words of the Pope, must fall in line with what the Bible says, and not the other way around. But in our day, we also must make sure that, that we are not making the same mistake that many made back then. You see, the, the, the de-elevation of Scripture wasn't unique to the time of Martin Luther. Every, every generation faces similar challenges when it comes to the Word of God, including our generation. There are competing authorities in this world that, that desire your allegiance. Politics. Science. Academia. Entertainment. And it doesn't mean that those things are never right, because sometimes they are. But unlike Scripture, they are flawed. For they come from human reason. They come from human wisdom. A wisdom that is lower than God's wisdom. And thus they must conform to God's word and not the other way around. Listen, the, the, the culture of our day, the, the, the setting mood of the times that we live in 
They, they want you to set aside the Word of God, especially when it disagrees with what they consider to be right. The challenge for you is to not give in. You must hold firm to what, to what Scripture teaches, even when it seems foolish, even when it costs you and you have to pay a heavy price. And yes, even when, when what you are reading in this book and this book right here goes against what you personally think is right. It's that last one that's the toughest, isn't it? God's word must be your authority. It must have the last word. Let's continue on with our passage. Look at, look at the rest of verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God's word is useful. In other words, it, it, it does things. What does it do? Well, it has the ability to change them. It can change a person. How does it do this? It does so in a number of different ways. We just read about four of them. This list that Paul gives us now is not an extensive list. But these four things, they are very, very vital. They are very, very important. Important enough that the Apostle Paul wanted to point them out to young Timothy. For he knew that they would be beneficial to the church in Ephesus. He knew that it, they would be beneficial to Timothy himself. That they would help him to become that effective leader. What are these four things? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Let's take a moment and, and look at each one of these, beginning with teaching. Now, teaching is simply imparting knowledge to someone, or rather imparting truth to another person. And, and Scripture is great at this. Like we said before, it, it, God's Word has revealed God's truth, God's wisdom. There, there, there is a knowledge in this book, that a knowledge in these words that... Don't worry about that, Ray. There's a knowledge that you're not going to find anywhere else. A knowledge that is pure. A knowledge that is uncorrupted. And it is the very knowledge that God wants you to hear. And so this is my challenge to you. Allow God's word to teach you. Allow it to give you the knowledge that it has, even when that knowledge seems to disagree with what you consider to be true. Scripture teaches. Use number two, rebuking. That's a fun word, huh? Who likes to be rebuked? I don't see one hand. I don't either. So I don't blame you. What does Paul mean by this? What he means is that Scripture is able to convict a man of his sins. 
And it does so by, by demonstrating that, that what that man is doing or what that woman is doing is in willful disobedience towards God. And so God's word calls people to repentance. It calls them to turn away from the sins that they are enslaved to and to turn towards God himself. And so this is my second challenge to you. Allow God's word to rebuke you. Allow it to show you your sin. And then allow it to change your heart from that of a heart of stone to that of a heart of flesh. Use number three, correcting. Now, correcting is similar to rebuking, only it is not in areas of willful disobedience. This is where a person is, is doing something that they may not know is wrong or they may not know that it goes against how God orders us to do things. And, and yet God word, God's word will show them their fault and kind of gently nudge them in the right direction. And so it, this is a call to reorient one's life towards the ways of God, to ways that are better. And so... My third challenge to you is this. Allow God's word to correct you. Allow it to show you your faults and to set you on that straight path. And finally, training in righteousness. If both rebuking and correcting are, were focused on changing the negative aspects of our lives, then training in righteousness focuses on increasing the positive aspects of our lives. It tells us what we should be doing, how we can love God and how we can love our neighbor. It is training in righteousness, how you can walk the Christian walk. And so this is my fourth challenge to you. Allow God's word to train you in righteousness. Allow it to shape you so that you might become a positive influence in your community, a positive influence in Allegan, a positive influence towards your neighbor, towards your family, towards your friends. So we see that the Bible is timeless. We see it is authoritative. We see that it is useful, but it is also sufficient. Look at, look at verse 17. I'll read 16 to start off. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work work. In other words, Scripture is able to do the things that it does in order that you can accomplish God's will. Scripture is able to do the things that it does in order that you can accomplish God's will. And here's the kicker. It doesn't need any help. There's not another source of wisdom that is necessary. It can do it all on its own. It is sufficient. 
It is enough. It it will accomplish this goal all by itself. In fact, what does Paul tell us? It It is exactly what is needed for godly living. Listen, the the, the world is going to tell you that that this word, that this word is not enough. That if you want to be fulfilled spiritually, then you're going to need more. But that is a lie. It's just not true. You don't need anything else. You you don't need the philosophies of men. You, You don't need Dr. Phil. You don't need Oprah. And you definitely don't need the the self-help books that they're promoting on their TV programs. Nor do you need the the advice that you find on Twitter or the opinions of your friends on Facebook. And you don't need that that fresh word from that man who's claiming to be a modern-day prophet. All you need to do to be thoroughly equipped for every good work is to open up God's word and read it. That's all you need to do. For when you do this, then the Holy Spirit, he will begin to transform you from within. Now, does this mean that we should just throw away all our other books? Should we just toss them in the garbage? I mean, what about all these other sources of wisdom? Well, we don't just throw them away. But we should be very careful. Careful so that we're not reliant upon them. For they are fallible. And God's word isn't. Basically, if there is another source of knowledge, then that source, it needs to serve underneath Scripture and not over Scripture. God's word must be the head and not the feet. And so there's nothing wrong with with going to other sources of wisdom. You just need to make sure that you're putting them in their proper perspective, in their proper place. And that you are acknowledging that whatever that source may be, whatever that source of wisdom is, that it is not necessary for what God wants to accomplish. The only thing that is necessary is this. Now, before I finish today, there's just one more thing I want to point out to you. One more thing concerning God's word. For there is one more thing that scripture can do, one more usefulness, one more purpose. Take a look at the verses that appear just before our passage for today. Look at, look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that last part? God's word is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, it is only in God's word where you will discover the true Jesus. It is only in God's word that that you will meet the very one who can rescue you from your sins. 
It is only in God's word that that you will find the good news of Jesus Christ. It is only in God's word that you can be changed from that of a person who is destined for hell to that of a person who has been rescued. Rescued by a crucified, dead, and risen Savior. Look at, look at Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This, this is the power of God's word. It has the ability to rescue a man from the eternal flames. And it has the capability to, to, of placing that same man into the kingdom of his God. Where he will be at peace forever. Dear friends, if you are here today and you have yet to put your trust in Jesus, if you have yet to turn away from your sins and and look to the cross of Christ where you can receive forgiveness, then my challenge to you is this. Dig in to God's word. Learn about your king. Learn about your savior. Learn about your only hope. And then turn from your sins and trust in him. For God's word has the ability to make you wise for salvation. But God's word is not just for those who have yet to be saved. But it's for all of God's people. You as a church are about to enter a time where you will need to rely on God's word more than ever. It will need to be your standard. It will need to be your authority. You will need to be taught by it. You will need to be rebuked by it. You will need to be corrected by it. And you will need to be trained in righteousness by it. And the good news is is that it is sufficient to do those things for you. And so my question for you, my, my last challenge is this. Will you submit? Will you put the word of God, will you put the Holy Scriptures above all other things? Above the news that you hear on TV? Uh, Above the wisdom that is coming from from the Hollywood screens? Uh, Above the science that demands that, 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 that your faulty senses be the judge? Above the politics of our government officials? And yes, even above the politics that goes on within this church. Will you put God's word above those things? Will you put scripture at the head? For if you do this, if you do this, then you will be in God's will. You will become thoroughly equipped for every good work. Dear friends, God has breathed. God 
has spoken. And you can find his words right here. All you need to do, open up the pages and read. Let us pray. Father, we know that that you alone possess all knowledge and all wisdom. And we know that you have shared that knowledge, shared that wisdom with us through your Son and through your Word. Too often we are tempted to run after the wisdom of men, the wisdom that's in our own heads, instead of seeking your guidance, the guidance that we can find in your word. Help us to repent. Help us to trust in what you say, even when it seems foolish to us. We can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would move among us in a mighty, mighty way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.